Good morning. You are the faithful. Maybe a little fewer than normal, but obviously the camp out and whatnot uh, affected things. Have you ever asked yourself this question, what must I do? Have you ever been in a pickle where you've, well, okay, yeah, you have been. Think of a time when you were in a pickle. Maybe it was when you were in school and you were at 89.4%. You guys know what that means, don't you, normally? At least in my day, 89.5, they would round up to 90, yeah, teachers, and that meant you had an A. But if you were at 89.4 and it's the end of the semester and you took your last test, what must I do? You come to your teacher and you say, what must I do? What do they usually say? Hardware, <laughs> maybe next time. <laughs> or, or we could give you some, what? Extra work, extra work. What must I do? I'm going to do some extra work. So the solution is extra work. Is that a good solution? It depends. It can be. And I think, uh, obviously, uh, working is one of the things that God has called us to do. But this question here is having to do with what must I do? And as we look at Mark 10, 17 through 31, it'll be a pretty familiar passage to you. But it, there is a lot in there. There's a lot of things that are kind of like sub-themes. And so as we look through this, I want you to kind of uh, just narrow in on some of the more priority things and, and some of the sub-things we'll just kind of t- t- uh, just mention uh, in brief passing. Have you ever been excited to pop the question? And nowadays that may be a little different, but have you ever like really wanted to ask a question of someone? And I know this usually refers to the guy asking the girl, will you marry me? But outside of that, ask the question, you're just dying to know something, and, you, and you, you know someone, and you'd really love to have like five minutes of their time because you like to ask a question. And that has a loaded connotation to it because when I was 19 years old, I had a question in my mind that I could not get off my mind. And I wanted to ask the question, but I didn't know who to ask the question to, and I really didn't know the, how to even explain the question because... I really had a lack of understanding of things. And maybe you're in the same situation too. Maybe there's, there's something in your mind and maybe it's, in, it's kind of just kind of in the underturfs of your, your psyche where you're just thinking about something that's like, man, I just, that bothers me and I don't know it. Or there's a, there's a hole in your heart and you can tell and yet at the same time, you need to have the, answer, the question answered and you'd love to know how to do it. Here's a question. What would you say to God if he asked you why he should let you into his perfect sinless heaven? I want you to answer this in your mind. I do want you to do it. What would you say to God if God is standing there and you're at his pearly gates and he's, he's there and he says, Mike, why should I let you into my perfect, holy, sinless heaven? And in your mind, I want you to think of what your answer is. What is it? So sometimes we have questions, and then sometimes we have questions that are pretty hard to answer. And now we look at, have you ever had a misplaced priority? And that all leads up into Mark 10, 17 through 31, which you're going to read right, uh, right now. And you're going to recognize this as a familiar passage because it is. Here's how it goes. As Jesus started on the way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At, the man, uh, at this, the man's face uh, fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home and brothers or sisters or mothers or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Kind of a tough passage. Is There's a lot in there. Uh, first of all, you have this young man, and he, uh, he comes uh, come walking up to Jesus, no, he comes, he comes running to Jesus, and he is on a mission. And this isn't just an ordinary man. This passage is in all three of the synoptic gospels. I had a question about what a synoptic means. It means same view, synopt. And so these gospels have it from a little different perspective, but a very similar theme to them. So John's kind of stands out a little bit on its own. Uh, it has a little different kind of theme to it. And Mark, Matthew, and Luke have a little different twist, and they are very much in line with one another. This story got in all three, and it doesn't happen that often. There are quite a few, but this is one that went, went into all three of them. So this young man came running up to Jesus, and he had a what? He had a, he had a question. He had a question, just like I had you ask yourself the question. Have you ever been burning to ask someone a question? And maybe it's whatever it is, but this guy had something on his heart. What's interesting about this guy is it says right here, he fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So his question wasn't about like, hey, who won the football game or anything like that. This guy has something really burning in his bosom. He wants to know, how do I have eternal life? Have you ever had that question in your own mind? I bet you have. And I bet you're not alone. And outside of this room, people who, who may, may, may not even actually walk into a church will have this question. How is it that I have eternal life? Well, this young man was, he was a, and we find out from, from Mark that he was, uh, he was a guy that actually was a, a, a rich man. And we also find out from Matthew that he was young. And from Luke, we find out that he was a ruler. And so we call him their rich, young ruler. Okay, so you tip those synoptic gospels together and you get three of those adjectives. And all three were true. So he was, uh, do you, just from what, you, what we've read right here, do you think he had been churched or unchurched? 
Churched, unchurched. Vote with your finger if if you're failing to vote right now. Churched or unchurched? It's good to think about, isn't it? Like, what is it? What is with this guy? Wouldn't he know if he went to church, this question? Why would he even have this question? How can I know that I have eternal life? And you might ask yourself the same question because you've been now church because you went to church at least one time. This is your first time. Welcome. Um, and there's, there are times when you go, go to church for, say, 19 years and never know the answer to this question, just for example. And that's where I found myself. This rich young ruler is not alone. He probably has a lot of people who like him. It's just that he comes up to Jesus. He, he kind of knows that there's a source of authority here, and he, he's a ruler. So he's not just some Joe Schmo. He has power. And what does he do when he gets to Jesus? What posturing does he take? He gets down, doesn't he? He gets down. There, there's a recognition of authority there. And so we see that he has some kind of sense of who he's around, but maybe not real clear. And so as you can see, Matthew has a very similar passage to this one right here. And then he says, good teacher, and Jesus, uh, he must, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus is going to ask him about this whole good thing. Now, why would he call him good? Why would this young man say good teacher? Are all teachers good? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, had, you, know, you have your, your favorites and stuff. But are, is, is Jesus good? Are there any good teachers beside Jesus? Spiritually? No, there aren't. He picked the one good teacher, which is pretty cool that he recognized something there that nothing, and he was around the, he could have asked that he didn't run to the Pharisees, did he? He ran to a guy who walked around with probably sandals that looked like they're three quarters way worn out and who kind of spoke to people and did things, and this man came up to him. There's something about him. He, he has a spiritual hunger in himself that is a little bit unique. Why do you call me good, Jesus? Nails him with this question. Well, I'd hate to have this question asked me. Like, well, no, you're going to have me explain what good means. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Why is that true? Oh, is it true? Yes, because it's Jesus said it, right? But why is that true? Why is no one else good? Ah, because even if you haven't even been here a whole year on planet Earth, you have fallen short and we sin and we are not good. And when we think we're good, we're usually comparing ourselves to what? Others. And then usually even that, even that lens is sort of, kind of like contorted. So we, we see this, Jesus really asking him to identify who is he. Jesus is really saying, do you know who I am? He's getting into it. Because if he doesn't understand who Jesus is, his, Jesus' answer will have less credibility. If this man does not know who Jesus really is and his authority and who he is deity-wise, the answer that Jesus gives him will not make the impact that it should. So Jesus is setting the table. Do you know who I am? And then he allows this conversation uh, because he really does care about this person. You know the commandments, Jesus says. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not be defraud and honor your father and mother. Okay, did he list them all? Did Jesus list all of them? Where would you look if you wanted to find all of them? 
besides the wall which they took him down? Where, where would you look? Exodus chapter, go back to the source, 20. And here it is, Exodus 20, we have 10 commandments. And obviously there are more than 10, but these are the big ones. And he lists only about six here. And those, those commandments have to do with interpersonal relationships with you and I. Don't murder, don't defraud, don't steal. He left out what? Some big ones. Yes, some big ones. In fact, the relationship here, vertical, is, is not there. And then this man says, teacher, he declared, all these things these I have kept since I was a boy. Is he religious or not? Probably. Probably. He probably was raised in a Jewish system because otherwise he wouldn't have any, any esteem for the commandments. It's a guess. We don't know. We don't know exactly what happens to him either. But he's definitely confused. He says, I have kept them since I was a boy. Okay. Really? So Jesus mentioned some of those. And so maybe he didn't ever actually murder. Um, he, maybe he didn't cert do certain things. How about giving false testimony? Is there anyone in here who has never given false testimony, not even bent the truth just a little? I just want you to raise your hand because you can have as many cookies as you want to today, okay? Because <laughs> I think that is awesome. But it would be almost impossible, wouldn't it? Because we at core, in our core, is, are sinful. And so Jesus basically is kind of laying out for him. The guy asked him, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus tells him what? What's his answer? Was he direct to, to the point? He came back and told him what? You know the commandments. Is that a vague answer? There's a lot of political campaigns going on right now, and so sometimes you're kind of just like, I just want to know who stands for what. Jesus cuts to the core of this guy, and he gets to the point of dis dissecting where, his, where his, his resistance is in coming to, to know Jesus and coming to know God. And so he mentions commandments, do you think that by keeping all the commandments, you can, uh, you can earn eternal life or inherit eternal life? Anyone want to raise their hand if that's true? If you could keep all the commandments, if you could, right? Jesus is pointing to this man's self-sufficiency. What he's going to do is saying, say to him, you know what? If you really evaluate yourself, and if I evaluate myself, the commandments are actually made for me to realize that I fall so far from God and his sinlessness and his perfection and his holiness. That's what they're there for. They're kind of there for us to realize that we need someone to save us, that we can't do it on our own. We were never, ever going to be able to keep those commandments, ever. And yet God is so righteous that he would never break any one of those. And yet he provides for us an option to be able to, to receive this free gift and this man here is still stuck on the fact that he's never broken one of those. So there's some, some lens cleaning that needs to happen. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that neat? You don't find one... There, I, can't find, I can't think of one. I'm just running through the Rolodex as I was, a biblical scripture. I don't know that I've seen such a direct statement. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He's confused. The man is confused. Jesus loves him right where he's at. And maybe you're confused. Maybe you're like, I don't understand everything in the, in the Bible. Maybe I don't understand. That is 
Perfectly okay, you've joined a large crowd, okay? I don't understand either. And Jesus still loves me. And you can apply that to you because Jesus is loving this man right where he is and he's trying to help him to fight through some of the things that are holding him back from receiving eternal life. He says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Okay, now, is it true that if you sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor, that you will have eternal life? Is it, let me rephrase this. Is there ever anything written in, in the Bible, other than this passage right here, that's talking Jesus is having a conversation with him, that infers the fact that if you sell everything and give to the poor, that's your free ticket to heaven? No. But Jesus is saying this for a reason, because Jesus, being Jesus, knows exactly where he is, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what happened? What's the issue with this guy? Okay, you're the physician now. You've had the, you've had the opportunity to, to examine the, the patient, and Jesus has kind of done a cross-examination for us, and our verdict is, what's, what's the problem with him and eternal life? Ah, he does. Loves money. Ah, okay. For what's the first commandment? Uh, love your Lord. Yes, love your God. And then you can go graven images. You can go, but love your God. This man loved what? He loved money more. Just, that, this, that's just the plain and simple meaning of this passage. And Jesus was... He, he named the six, pass, the six commandments that didn't have to do with that relationship with God, and then he puts it in real practical terms when he says, hey, you know what? Jesus didn't care whether he, I mean, it isn't going to help Jesus any for him to sell all of his stuff. And I mean, you know, that isn't going to help. But Jesus wants him to recognize where he's, where he's lacking his understanding of who Jesus is. He called him a good teacher, but that's such a small title for Jesus, isn't it? He, he's God. He's the creator almighty. He's the one who can save him. He's the only thing that can save him. So what must I do to inherit eternal life is a really awkward question to answer for Jesus because it has nothing to do with doing, does it? Mm -mm. You will never get to heaven doing anything. I don't care how many thousands of things you do right or holy or perfect that will not earn your way into heaven. I thought... That was, the, that was the stock until I was 19 years old. And then someone, I had that burning question, and that burning question is in my mind when God presented an opportunity for me to hear truth through another person and explain it to me. And it really is, this is his issue. Now, your issue might not be the love of money. That may not be your issue. Can you think of another issue or another thing that you actually put prioritize in front of Jesus and your pursuit of God. Can you think of something? It may be your time. You're like, man, I am, I'm, you know what, I don't have enough time and therefore I'm not, well, you're here this morning. Guess what? Kudos for you. You're setting aside something that is a scarce commodity in your life so that your spiritual life can be enhanced and you can encourage other people too. Not just about you coming to church for you. It's also you obviously encouraging other people too. And that is really important. This man just had the issue and Jesus was really dealing with the issue of, can you love me 
more than your money. And really the test of that is, if your money wasn't there, would you still choose me? Whoops, we're going to flip through that. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples. Now, the disciples are watching all this. Now, imagine you as a disciple watching this go down. This rich guy, he's a ruler, he comes up, and he, he, he has this interaction with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, go sell everything, and then come follow, basically follow me. When Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for rich, the rich to enter the kingdom of God, the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, little self-analysis. 30 years ago, I'd have asked you to dig in your pockets and see what's in there. And you, you would have probably come out with some actual like coins or currency. Now you probably come up with some plastic thing that you can push in and do this thing with. Are you rich? It's a, little bit about, it's a little bit similar to asking, are you good? Because good is a relative thing, and richness is a relative thing, isn't it? Compared to who? Now, so you take your income for a year, and you compare that to some place that is a third world country, and you are all, uh, immediately all of a sudden considered what? Stinking rich. Not just wealthy, stinking rich. Now, when it says this, how hard it is for a person to go, a rich person to get into heaven. And now all of a sudden you see yourself as a rich person because that's truly who we are here. Then that becomes more of a personal issue. Like before it was like, oh yeah, okay. So for the rich people, for the ones who have eight or nine figures or whatever it is nowadays, no, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be eight or nine. It would be more like four to be rich in some places or even possibly three. And now that what Jesus is saying is very much important. What's the thing with the camel? What's the thing with the camel? To go through the eye of a needle. Is that possible? No. No. It, 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 no, it wouldn't be possible. In fact, there was a, at one point in time, it was an elephant because that was their biggest thing. It, it's, it's really actually just what? It's a hyperbole, much like a, the plank in your eye. Are, are you going to get a plank in your eye? Probably not, okay? So it's the point. The point is, is Jesus is trying to make a huge point here. There are some people who have said in the history that there was one gate in the Jerusalem and that the camel couldn't go underneath unless you unpack the camel. That still makes it possible for them to go through it. And there is no way you're going to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Anyway, the eye of a needle was apparently one of the gates they named it that. That is not true at all. That doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus is talking about. What he's saying is this. If your issue is money, you cannot make it into heaven. If you love money more than Jesus, it's really the first commandment and the most important commandment is, is there. Now, can you have money and enjoy money and still have Jesus as your number one priority? Absolutely. And I, and I hope that's the truth because in this day and age here, and we're going to get into this, these disciples, when this rich ruler came up and he bowed before Jesus, you know what they're automatically thinking in their preconceived mindset of who that is? They're thinking he's rich. Therefore, he's been blessed by God. And that was absolutely their mindset. 
If you were rich, you had been blessed by God. So here's this man who's been blessed by God. And so for, for, the, for them to hear, it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. That conflicted with blessing of God, rich, and now I'm rich, but now I can't have this. They could not, they could not even calculate how do these two things fit together. And we don't have that mindset. That mindset is truly that rich people have been blessed by God. And so as they get into this conversation a little bit further, and Jesus says it's harder for that, for the camel to go through the eye of the needle, Peter has something to say, and so did the others. The disciples were even more amazed because he had said this, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Who then can be saved? The little piece of paper, I flipped through one of the slides, and I wasn't, I wasn't fast enough. You probably kind of saw there was something there. Uh, there's a, a man who's going to be baptized, who's bap- being baptized right now, actually, in the mountain. He called me, and I said, hey, I'm down here, and you're up there. We were gonna, I was going to baptize him at some point in time, but he's going to be up there. So he's probably bat- being baptized in just a short little while, which is really neat. And on May 2nd, he gave his life to Christ. And he, one of the things that he said to me was, uh, and when I asked him, why should God let you into this, his perfect, holy, sinless heaven? He said, I, for once in my life, want to do things not like I want to do them, but like God wants them to, to do them. And that was, at that point, I thought, okay, this conversation is great. We're, we're, he has a heart. He, he just doesn't know he just doesn't know things, but he totally has the heart, not the heart of the rich ruler, because that was kind of the, all, the opposite. Here's this man who's saying, I want to do things your way, God. He just didn't know that it wasn't something he does. It's something that he believes and trusts in. And that's the, conversa- that's the conversation we had from there on out. So all things are possible with God because God's grace is sufficient for us. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Can you imagine if you're a disciple and you see this rich young ruler and he's unwilling to give away all of his riches and stuff and then you're like, hey, wait a minute, I have nothing but a knapsack on my back. And Peter brings up this point, hey, we left everything to follow you. He, he's concerned about what, what does this mean? What, what is all of this? And then Jesus gives him this kind of reassurance, but he also kind of a also, maybe a little bit of a, a view into the future. He says, truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields from me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. What does it mean to, to lose mothers and sisters and brothers? What, what is he saying there? This is a hard thing. I've had people say, I, I just refuse to, 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 to really even look at this because it, what it means to me is not... What does it mean to, to have to give up relationships? Ah. Does God want us to give up relationships? Ah, ah, good, you're all together here. So relationships are important, and our God is a God of relationship. That is really the essential thing is, 
if, you, if you're going to inherit eternal life, it means that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. That's what it means. He's all about relationships. Even the triune God has this kind of relationship going on, and we're like, wow, that's really, that's really almost unimaginable. And Jesus wants us to have relationships. But sometimes, and this is true with the disciples, he asks certain people to do things that are going to be more difficult. He's going to ask you to give up a relationship with someone who is not healthy for you. Do you kind of get what I mean? And if that person was to drag you away from God, would that be a healthy relationship that Jesus would want you to have? No. And so Jesus knows what's best for you, and at the same time, he wants to bring you to this place of blessing. And so he sometimes puts up parameters, and those parameters are there for our, for our benefit. And so what he's saying is this. You know what? Hey, what I'm asking you to do is not easy. You're going to have to give up this and that and riches or whatever it is your issue is. Some people, okay, money's not their number one thing. Relationships are the number one thing. You, 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 <laughs> you put them alone for a while, they'll go crazy. And some people are just totally fine that way. It, whatever your issue is, if it's a relationship that Jesus has asked you to, to, to not pursue in the same way, boy, I would say, that's a hard thing to do. And, I, and I'll just say, in the dating realm, thank heavens I'm not in the dating realm, but I have a bunch of you know, kids who are and people and they have friends and stuff. It's very difficult. And he's gonna, Jesus is asking you to follow and to yoke yourself with someone who also follows Jesus because that makes a triangle that's super strong. That's very difficult to, to say to someone, yeah, you know what? Here's the parameters. You need to find someone who loves Jesus just like you do. And if that offends you, I'm just gonna tell you right now, it will save you so much grief. And can I just tell you, after hours of talking to people in rooms with two people, he, she, and that isn't true. They, they made that decision to, to marry someone or pursue someone who didn't love the Lord and that hadn't been all established. And there's so much pain there. And God does not want you to, to do that. And he wants you to run equally. And so when it says these things, these are very difficult things. How about brothers or sisters? How many, have you, how many of you have ever had kind of a backlash because the fact that you go to church or you, pers you pursue your relationship with Christ and your brothers and sisters, maybe, just kind of, maybe they just kind of make fun of you or they, they just kind of look, look down on you. Any, anyone like that at all? At one point in time, you're like, absolutely. I was, Mike has jumped over the edge. That was the conversations that were going on behind, <laughs> behind the scenes. And, and maybe I had a little bit and, you know, that kind of thing, but... You know, they come back to the middle, like, okay, you know what? Um, he, he, he loves us, and he, you know, he's, he's still the same guy he was before. Sometimes we're going to experience things, but what Jesus says here is, you know what? It's going to be worth it. It is going to be worth it. And he uses a hundred, but when I think of eternity, I'm like, you could have put any big number there at all, and it would be true along with persecutions. And Mark adds that the other writers, the synoptics, did not. And that just is Mark to include, you know what? The suffering servant Jesus and, our follow, and the followers like him will experience some persecutions, but God gives us grace for those. I want to ask you a question. How are you saved? And what is your priority? How are you saved? And what is your priority? And how you are saved has nothing to do with about what you do. It has to do with you submitting yourself 
to Jesus, and much like the, the rich young ruler, in, in your mindset, getting down below him and just recognizing, Jesus, you are, you are my Savior. You're the only one who can die for my sins and set me free from those. And there's a point in time, like this man on May 2nd, who finally gave his life to Christ and came to an understanding that it's all about what Jesus accomplished on that cross that pays for our sins and has nothing to do with what I do to try to earn my salvation, which is impossible. And the second thing is, what is your priority today? What is competing with Jesus in the number one slot? And I'm just going to challenge you and you, the quietness of your chair to, to just think this week, is that worth, really worth it? And should it compare with Jesus? And maybe it's setting your alarm clock 15 minutes early because you love sleep more than a quiet time with Jesus. Maybe it's allowing yourself to go to a small group that you've been meaning to go to because you have not had time with other believers to be encouraged. And that so now time is the issue. Or maybe it is, maybe for you it is money. And maybe that's an issue too that you just need to work out with the Lord. Maybe it's some other issue. Maybe it's a relationship thing. And you're like, yeah, I've got to make some tough decisions right now. There's blessing. What Jesus said is there's blessing at the end of that. There's blessing where we step into his grace. And it's his grace that allows us to have a relationship with him. It's a free gift. And we come to that free gift in a way that others can only just imagine because they don't have that. Oops, this one here. There it is. The great commandment. This is also Matthew 22, 37 through 40, but it says this. The most important one, answered Jesus, when he was asked, what is the most important of the commandments? Is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And that's what he's calling us to do right now. And that may look different for each one of us. It may mean more time with him in his word and in prayer. Maybe more time with him in, in terms of other believers. It may mean less time of something else that you need to give up. Maybe it's social media. I don't know what it is. What is your, what is your number one thing? That's between you and God. I'm just the messenger, and don't shoot the messenger. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage. It hits to the center of who we are, because we are all rich in sitting in this room, and we have a need that we can't solve for ourselves, and that is that we can't earn our own salvation, and to inherit eternal life is to give up this life, is to really just say, you know what, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want me to do, I give you the throne of my life. You choose the relationships. You choose how I spend my time. You, you, you choose how I spend my money, what I expose my eyes to, all those things, Lord, that sometimes become uh, priorities in front of you. And we, we, we renounce those things. We ask you to get rid of those things out of our lives, that we would be, uh, as this passage says, that we would love you first and foremost, that that would be the desire of our heart, to just be with you and to do the things that you want us to do. And so we just thank you for this day. We thank you for such a beautiful, uh, a beautiful day to enjoy and to just remember what you've given us. And for those of us who know, know you and have a relationship with you, that is eternal. That doesn't end. Those blessings are going to be there forever and ever, that we would have a, uh, a relationship that's even in some ways closer and, and, and unhindered in the future. We look forward to that. We just thank you for this, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.